0: been a while since actual vancalf at this point this is supposed to be our vancalf episode
1: I, it's still our vancalf episode
2: um, emerald city just happened last weekend convention season is still um just at its tail end for this year i guess yeah all the timing has shifted around so vancalf <laughs> was kind of in the beginning of the pack it was yeah. TCAF even
1: yeah well i feel like that might have been smarter because most of the friends that I know that have been doing these late summer conventions have all brought a case of COVID back with them from their trip
0: I mean COVID (laughs) aside this would have been the best time of year for me to go to conventions uh I'm sure they're not going to do this schedule in the future so it doesn't help me at all but
2: yeah the COVID policies have been all over the map though so, VanCalf was unusual in that masks were strongly encouraged. I would say mask compliance was like over 90% probably mm-hmm. among the attendees. Oh, well, maybe that's a little generous, but I thought it was quite high. Yeah. Uh, and there was a lot of effort to uh, create spacing and ventilation. And I think that's been a lot more strict than some other policies that I've seen. So, I mean, I didn't get sick at VanCalf and I'm very grateful. Uh, not to say that getting sick at VanCalf was impossible, I'm sure. Some people did, but I didn't hear of anything going around.
0: No, I don't. I I mean, I'm sure there were people who got sick, but I didn't hear about anyone either. And and yeah, the spacing was actually really great. Uh, I wish that that was a practical (laughs) possibility at conventions all the time, because it it was nice not to have to like swim through crowds of people even without having to worry about a virus.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I was really anxious in the run-up, so I haven't done a convention since 2018, I don't think. Uh, I think I for for unrelated reasons, I wasn't doing conventions in 2019, and I was really leery of coming back, and if it wasn't for those policies, I wouldn't have come back, and I haven't done any conventions since. So, yeah, no, but I was really grateful for the for the policies that COVID put in, or sorry, that VanCaf put in place for COVID, but uh, COVID aside, I think I want to discuss the convention landscape and how it hits different now, uh, later on in the episode.
1: Yeah. I was going to say your, your, uh, lead in here. <laughs> it's like, I have thoughts, Jonathan, but yeah, I'll wait till <laughs> we, talk about, we can talk about conventions after we talk about the books we got at the conventions.
0: I do really miss going to conventions because uh, like jam, I haven't been apart from Van Calf. I haven't been to one in years now. Uh, and I didn't book any other conventions for this year. Cause I don't have any new books but I don't know. I mean, I've been thinking about maybe, maybe looking to get myself some conventions for next year when I do have a book. Yeah. Uh, although it's, it's so hard to plan because, like, everyone's schedule is different. Like, all the conventions have moved their dates around so many times. And, like, who knows what's going to be happening just with the world in general, not just with COVID. Uh, okay. Like, I I'm, haven't been to a convention in the U.S. since Trump.
2: Yeah. yeah. I've only <laughs> been to one and that one was a little scary to be honest.
0: <laughs> so, <laughs> no so name. The but... world's a different place and as much as I miss the as, as much as I miss Planet Con, uh, the Perpetual Island of Comics where it feels like going from one convention to the next you just sort of step through a doorway into this other dimension. Um, I don't know. So it's been a while. It's not not it the was, same as it was. It
1: yeah, was nice. Like, it was nice to touch base on Planet Con though, and I found some really cool stuff at Planet Con. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I think we want to start with the positive. So the reason that we all came back, I think, is because it is a space that we all really missed for comics. Certainly, being able to come together and share work and see, check in on your other creatives and see what they're up to. It's not always practical to keep tabs on everyone online or advisable or useful you know I I don't think it's good on the the side of the creator to need to put that much out there online and it's it's a lot of mental overhead to try and keep tabs on that many people but there are a lot of people that I've you know formed relationships in this con circuit like you alluded to and uh it was wonderful to see everyone's work and yeah pick up some new things
0: yeah one thing that um van Kef didn't have because van Kef never has that that i miss from conventions is cosplay just seeing like people with their amazing costumes is always so much fun <laughs> and i mean i'm i don't know how to make costumes i've never done cosplay but it's cool to that a lot of conventions just happen to have that overlap of oh there's comics and also there's people making costumes uh, I-
2: although unofficially i think the arts festival side of the comic convention has become a little bit of a runway. Like uh people are yeah. taking it as an opportunity to do like really dress up their fashion and really get out there with their fashion. Uh so even though it's not official cosplay, it is there were some really good looks at this year's <laughs> uh Van Calf, which I really enjoyed.
0: That's oh, true. And that's not just, that's been like several years in the making too. Yeah. I don't know if uh like I haven't been to a lot of other conventions. So I don't know whether that's a, a Van Calf specific thing or whether that's just this new culture of comics
2: uh it's a big deal at tcaf so i can okay. at least confirm that much
0: it's cool i like it i mean uh, what, what is the thing that people call it uh comics prom is that what it is
1: yeah there
2: you uh, go. yeah they call spx comics prom i think so that <laughs> I, I haven't been to spx but maybe it's also <laughs> true there
1: this this year actually i i think it was uh, because of COVID. i like sort of kept it a little more casual like i was I was rocking like a three-piece suit for a while at conventions. And then I just realized that it's, you get so much more longevity and stamina if you just don't make yourself super uncomfortable <laughs> in what you wear. <laughs> I'm pretty sure there was probably a couple uh, cosplays, though. I think I've seen a few cosplays at, at Van Calf.
0: Yeah, there's always people, a few people who there's, sneak in.
1: There
2: was. Um,
0: I mean, I'm making it sound more dramatic than it is. There's There aren't actually guards preventing you not at bank anyways i mean, yet, anyways.
2: I, mean like I was gonna alter policy
1: i mean i was gonna say like it, this reminds me of the one tcaf year when tcaf publicly was like you wouldn't dress up in a costume when you go to the grocery store so why dress up in a costume to come to our arts festival like they sort of had this weird sort of like sort of please don't wear a costume to our convention sort of statement. Yeah, uh, which I is don't very like controversial. I remember that. <laughs> that's,
0: not, that's not cool. Some people would wear a costume to the grocery store. What's yeah. wrong with that?
2: <laughs> I almost, uh, I think, I don't know. Have you guys heard of the concept of bounding with your fashion bounding? No. It's oh. usually used in the context of Disney bounding, which is like Disney also has a policy that you're not allowed to wear costumes to their park. I believe
0: okay and cool. so what
2: the Disney super fans have started to do is kind of like cost closet cosplay or maybe if you can think of it like forming an outfit around a character's aesthetic oh. and it's almost like an inside joke kind of guessing game among the people who are really freaking into Disney <laughs> and they call it <laughs> Disney bounding and I've also heard of historical bounding so people who there's like a, a major sub-community of people who want to dress in historically accurate vintage fashion right so some of them are like I dress 1940s that's my era some guys are like I dress 1920s or I dress 1850s Mm. right but sometimes some people don't want to go all the way so they call it history bounding where it's like you just (laughs) have pieces that are vaguely historical in some way as from what I understand it so maybe maybe cosplay bounding will be (laughs) <laughs> creeping I like into that the
0: new too. I, I like all of these, all of these should yeah. happen. I mean, uh, years and years ago, I had an idea when I'm never going to do this. So anyone listening to this free idea, you can do this if you want of doing, uh, like a blog or something that was like cosplay or not, where you take, take you have to like ask the people's permission because you also have to check to find out if they're actually wearing cosplay or not, but like find, like get pictures of people who are at a convention Whose outfit looks like it could be cosplay, but you're not really sure. And then <laughs> anyone who goes to the website has to guess: is this cosplay or not? And then see the results.
2: <laughs> oh that's It'd be fun. fun with a lot of the more subtle cosplay that people can do.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because there's always like, and part of this is just that there's so many characters I don't know. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> well, I mean, I was gonna say like i I've actually found that within the like indie comic scene with within which like we all sort of exist, anytime a creator I know has like met someone at a convention dressed as one of their characters, like they almost break down in tears. It's so moving to them that someone took the time to dress up as their weird little obscure character. Like, I don't think that I mean what I maybe I'm wrong but I feel like I don't think the Marvel comic artists get that excited when they see someone dressed as Spider-Man compared (laughs) to like when you know an indie artist sees someone dressed as their character I feel like that actually I don't mean something more to the creator Mm. I think and and a deeper level like I feel like it's more 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 moving more more like emotionally moving for the artist when it's like their tiny little unknown characters is, is like turned into this lovingly crafted cosplay. Yeah. I don't know. I I would say like, I'm all for cosplay at indie shows. And I think everyone should think about how to cosplay uh, their favorite indie character uh, at the next convention you go to, but to to cap off our fashion corner here, I always remember I was at a, uh, the Portland zine symposium and someone had earrings that were made out of games Guide circles, and I was just like, that's like awesome. That's just like you know, if you don't know, you don't know, but if you know, you know and I'm like that's some good that's some good fashion good comic good comic con fashion <laughs> so now right. we're running a, a fashion podcast, right <laughs> uh, new thing <laughs>
0: uh, all right, so do we want to talk about uh some books that we found in Van Calf.
1: Yeah. Who's going to start?
0: Uh, well, I, I can start. So uh, the, the you plan...
1: you to do introductions?
0: Oh, <laughs> yes. I don't know. Let's skip the character building question. I don't have an idea for a character building question. People know who we are at this point, don't they?
1: <laughs>
2: I'm Jam.
0: I'm JD. And I'm Jeff. There we go. We'll start with the letter J. <laughs> Uh, anyways okay so we've got uh the plan is we have each picked three of the books we found at van calf to share we're just going to sort of like introduce them really quick if there's uh any discussion to be had we can discuss these different books uh but it's basically just like a sampling of the type of stuff we found at van calf uh and some of the fantastic work that uh well i guess all not all these people are going to be locals but it's because it's VanCaf and because it's Vancouver, it's going to skew heavily towards local artists, I think. And we can like take turns, so we'll each like start with a book and then on to the next person. Okay, so I'm going to start with this is uh, Ronald Wimberly's Prince of Cats, uh, and we'll post like photos of covers so that you've got some context if you're listening to this. Which you are, because it's a podcast. And that's the only format to get this from. But there's first of all, there's a story to this book. I wanted to get this book years ago. And um, I don't actually remember how many years ago it was because like, there were like two years, I think, without Van Calf. Anyways, the last time Ronald Wimberly was at Van Calf, I wanted to get this book. And he's not local. So and this book is hard to get. So I don't know. I didn't have a plan to get it if he wasn't there but he had sold out by the time I made it around to his table. So I missed my chance the last time. So this time I went there first day in the morning, make sure I got this book. And I absolutely love this book. It was worth the wait. Uh, It's basically, it's based on the, on um, Romeo and Juliet. uh, But in a very sort of interesting way, he kind of like takes Romeo and Juliet and Brooklyn in the 1980s and Samurai Swords and cool, cool. mashes them all together to create something completely new and original. And he's uh it it doesn't follow the story of Romeo and Juliet beat for beat. Uh, it's a story about a side character, T Bolt, who is in the original, but he like gets killed by Romeo. Is it the first act? I think. I'm looking it up here on Google. I think it's the first act. So he doesn't play a big part in the story. Uh, So Ronald has kind of, like, written a backstory to this character, but it's set in Brooklyn in the 80s. And so obviously, like, there's a lot of story that isn't stuff taken straight from the play, but he's written all of the extra material in Shakespearean prose. And I think some of the dialogue is still Shakespeare, but it's pretty seamless. Uh, And it's also like the the extra stuff that he's written is aware of the context he's drawn his story in so they'll use like modern day vocabulary and like a lot of the metaphors and stuff wouldn't make sense in like the the 1500s uh and it's just so well written he like he does all the Shakespeare things he'll like he has rhyming couplets and uh he has like descriptions of things that are like poetic and really extra descriptive because they're like making metaphors and references uh i'm gonna see if i can find i should have done this ahead of time just give me a second here to find a good quote because i want to read you some of his prose also the art is just so graphic and fantastic
2: i love the graffiti
0: yeah well, that's that's what i wanted to find oh yeah okay so this is a scene where one of the characters i think think this is oh this is um oh shoot what is this character's name a lot of these are characters who like are not important in Romeo and Juliet but they are there uh so this is one character who is like doing graffiti on a wall uh and uh Romeo shows up and they get into a sword fight because the whole comic's just people like killing each other with swords which is like super Shakespearean <laughs> So Romeo says, he says to the the guy doing the graffiti, desist at once thy ignoble deeds and mar no more our walls with scribble scrabble. And then the graffiti artist says, my scribble seems scrabble to thee boy. Thou hast no letters to match my designs nor words to place adjacent my name. Your game is short pieces, thou art a broken toy. If these be thy walls, where art thy names? Concrete defies your half-baked spaghetti. Uh, and then Romeo says back, what sauce? Take care. Waitest thou in hot water? knave? I am Romeo Montague, and these are Montague walls.
2: <laughs> wow, that's intense.
0: <laughs> it's just so good. Uh, also, there some of the, it, and it's all that sort of like super Shakespearean way of talking, but like Shakespeare, it's all like sex and violence. <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: You got to scan a couple of those interior pages too, John. Yeah, uh, maybe. <laughs> that, that's a really fun book. How is it like a trade paperback thickness or is it a... Um, it's published
0: by Image. So I assume it was probably like individual books at some point, individual comic books. I don't know for sure. It's not a standard image format, though. It's quite a bit bigger.
1: Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Image has done a couple magazine size projects in the past, so makes sense. I don't know. That's really cool. I always enjoyed uh, seeing Image uh, living up to their original mandate. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. uh, okay, so my focus at VanCraft was a little bit different. The thing that I missed the most when I wasn't at conventions was being able to get zines to be honest like I was going deliberately to try and find the experimental works the things that would not be readily available online so the first piece that I have is is definitely well within that category uh it's by an artist who I believe is local named Talia Yamal and they work primarily in screen printing monotype and letterpress So this first zine that I have here is an edition of only 20 because it is a screen printed zine uh, in four colors with the lettering is letterpress. Uh So for anyone who is familiar with those two processes to make a book, a book of any size with this, with this type of printing is it's extremely labor intensive. Uh, It's extremely difficult to get it right. So screen printing, especially when you're doing multiple passes, like the alignment is extremely difficult to achieve consistently. And I think the execution in this was just beautiful. Uh, It's also hand bound with string, which I love. But beyond that, I thought this particular zine, which is called Mm Syrup, was extremely touching and very personal and very relatable. So it is about... A Chinese medicinal herbal remedy, which is very popular in in certain regions, called Ningyong Pei Pakua, and I this caught my eye immediately because this is a remedy that I used when I was young. And the base of this remedy, so you might think it's really weird to be this obsessed with a cough syrup, but the base of this remedy is actually like honey, and then it has a bunch of herb, herbs, very much distilled and baked into that honey. So it has a consistency that's very, very thick, like molasses. And you stir it into hot water and it soothes a sore throat. Like I still use this. As, I think it's incredible. But the story of the, uh, the zine is the artist, when they were young, they had this remedy. And for them, I, I believe they were mixed race. I think I saw that somewhere else is that there was a very strong connection to their culture for them that you know, the other kids around didn't necessarily use this. And uh, because it was so sweet, they would, you know, some kids would feign being sick to try and get out of school and this kid, you know, was feigning being sick so they could get the sweet cough syrup. And, you know, found many different ways to try and sneak it out of the drawer Uh, and they were always getting scolded for that, but it was just like a little encapsulation of a nice memory uh, and beautifully executed and I thought that was really, really nice. And related to that, I picked up another zine that was also screen printed by them uh, on big chunky paper. Uh, This one is much shorter and it's called Prayer of the Ninth House. And it's a fanzine for a novel named Gideon the Ninth, which I just started reading, but not enough to have any context for yet. But it's really cool. So also screen printed, also hand bound. So these are probably my number one treasures from the show.
0: How many colors is the the first one printed in?
2: I think three. Okay. I see red, I see yellow, I see a brown. On the last page, it looks like there's a blue. Okay. But Mm. it would be very unusual to have an extra color only on the inside of the last page.
0: I think with screen print, that's more practical than if it was like a, like print, uh, maybe the printing press,
2: Yeah. because
0: you have to do a print for every page, right? So you could actually, you could add another color if you wanted to, but yeah, the more colors you add, the more difficult it gets to get it all to register.
2: Yeah. So three, especially when you have character line art, and you're mm-hmm. using color to spot fill. Like it's, it's better than many offset printed comic books I've seen in terms of alignment. Uh, I yeah, think it's just, it's wow. fantastic. And it uses this medium very, very well. And it was just such a delightful surprise.
1: That's beautiful. How many pages is that book? Like,
2: oh, it's only like maybe eight. Yeah, like eight pages. So some of them are wow. double-sided. Some of them are not.
1: Wow. That's really cool. That's yeah. like- even, even to, uh, like, line up and print those eight sheets of paper is, like, a feat. <laughs>
2: <sighs> yeah. So it's, it's no surprise that it's an edition of 20, which is why I was very, very happy to get my, my hands yeah. on it. Oh, this man. was also printed in, uh, in 2018. So wow. it's, it's funny that, like, it's only because we've had this time preserved in amber that we were able to pick up some of these things that otherwise would be uh, long gone by now.
1: Right. That's that's a find. That's <laughs> if I was aware that that existed, I probably would have also gone and bought that. That's a beautiful looking book. Yeah. I am a big fan of lithography and letterpress. Yeah, that's that's really amazing.
2: Yeah, so if anyone wants to look it up on Instagram, T A J L I Y A J Talia. Okay talia j on instagram
1: i guess it's back over to me hey well i'm yeah i'm all about local vancouver artists so the first one i was like almost not sure if this should be one i i talk about because i feel like everyone already knows about it because this book is getting so much press and discussion I don't know. I don't
0: think you can assume that everyone knows about a specific book the way the comics world is these days.
1: But yeah, uh, my first book is Swim Team by Johnny Christmas. And uh, like fair disclosure, Johnny's friend and past Cloudscape contributor. But uh, yeah, I'm so pleased to see him doing this uh, amazing book through Harper Alley. So this is part of the Harper Collins graphic novel line. It's a a really it's a great little young adult uh, comic, which I know I I guess I'm like I'm starting light and it's going to get like heavier and darker as I progress. Um,
0: (laughs) That's fine. I'm going to go the other way.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, it was just it's a really charming story. It's about a little girl named Bree who she moves from New York to Florida, I think, and then joins the finds through sort of different circumstance, finds herself on the swim team at school and finds she actually has somewhat of a talent for swimming and enters the world of competitive uh, swim races. And she's at a school that has not won a championship in years. And they're up against like a rich school that has like the best of the best. And it's a really charming story, but you know, like it also had somewhat of a message because it gets into a discussion about Black people being sort of a stereotype of Black people not being able to swim. And then that that is somewhat true because of segregation in the United States. So a lot of Black people didn't have opportunities to swim. So a lot of Black people didn't learn how to swim. And so there's sort of some subplots to do with like her father being afraid of the water. Cause he doesn't know how to swim. And a woman in, in the building who was part of the original swim team that almost won the championship who becomes the coach. And uh, it just, yeah, it gets into sort of the history of how segregation sort of affected uh, swimming for, you know, black people in America, but it's also maintains like a really just heartwarming atmosphere all these great like little character moments of this little swim team and just like beautiful really bright colorful art and uh I was surprised when I got to the very end because there's a big uh there's a there's a thank you section in the back and um so Johnny Christmas sort of is the primary creator here but uh James Lloyd It was another local Vancouver artist uh, did an assist on some of the backgrounds. And I was surprised to find out that uh, one of my classmates at Capilano university did some uh, like help with flatting and book design, uh, Alina Sandu. So, uh, and that's like a bunch of other people that are thanked in here too. But yeah, like a, a whole bunch, it was like a swim team was like a somewhat of a team effort as well. But yeah, Johnny wrote it and, penciled it and uh he's he's got this uh really fun amazing story and uh, it's been getting a lot of attention yeah he's going to be speaking at the writers festival uh i'm really happy to see this book's getting as much attention as it is Uh, i think it was up for an award on uh Uh, harvey that's it yeah it was up for harvey award yeah Yeah,
2: i saw it get written up on the cbc so yeah i well i also have been seeing this get a lot of attention and i I appreciate the little review jeff because i haven't had a chance to get it myself yet
1: Well, yeah, well-deserved. Well-deserved appraise for this book. Highly recommend. That's that's another
0: book that uh, I've been aware of it for a little bit. And I've, rather than buying new books, I've been trying to work my way through my pile of books I already own. But as soon as I have some space in that pile, that's going to be top of my list of book I need to pick up. Uh, It's been a while. I mean, I know he had some art assist with this book, but even even at that i think this is the most johnny christmas in one place that we've seen in a while he's done a lot of other projects recently where he was either the writer or the artist i can't even remember what the last one was he did where he was both
1: yeah no i i mean well oh uh, firebug i think um
0: oh, okay i don't I, I don't think i have read that one i need to
1: oh that's yeah that's a good one too I, you know what I, johnny's really been developing as a writer in the last couple of years um, and I feel like this is where it all kind of comes together because the it's got like he's his art is on it's a game and his writing's on it's a game and it's it just from knowing him and, and knowing his background like I mean he he uh, came from Florida and spent time living in New York so I can tell that the characters sort of moving from New York to Florida like or maybe getting that reversed. But anyways, like I definitely can tell that there's certain aspects of I think the the artists that have like come into the work. So it feels very personal too. Um, So yeah, I'm really happy for him. It's a really good book.
0: All right. Uh, I guess I'm next. Uh, My next pick was a little bit more indie this time. This is Science Ghost uh, by Christian Haruki Lett. And this is, I knew that he was working on this comic and I've seen him post some pages online in the past, but this is like, I'm, I have gotten really bad at reading web comics these days. So I'm glad to have it in print so I can actually sit down and like read it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It's the first chapter of his web comic, So there is more online, I believe it's kind of a sort of a, a the main plot is this kid is trying to, track down a cryptid in the town that she lives in and prove the existence of the Northwood floating eyeball. Uh, (laughs) But then things take a detour because there there might be other cryptids out there. Uh, And it's just really fun. Uh, the, The color is fantastic. I absolutely love these colors. It's like such a unique palette. And the story's really good, too. Like, I really like the character writing. It feels very sort of authentic. And it's just a lot of fun. And, and I, I like, uh, I hope that, uh, I mean, because I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm bad at reading webcomics. I hope he prints more chapters or does, like, a compilation when it's finished because uh, that's <laughs> that's how I'm going to end up reading it, I'm sure.
1: I'm really pleased that we at least have one book that's overlapped here because I also picked up uh, Science Coast and <laughs> um, yeah I I bought I always buy whatever mini comic Christian puts out at VanCaf and uh, I'm never disappointed mm-hmm.
0: As, I think this is his biggest project so far isn't it
1: I think so yeah it's definitely like I think the largest like kind of most involved yeah yeah um, and
2: getting to discover new web comics is another really awesome thing about conventions that
0: yeah because the internet's not necessarily good for that like not everyone is on the same social media not everyone is on social media at all Uh, and even if someone is on the same social media platform as me and I follow them I'm not necessarily going to see when they update because like we don't have google reader anymore (laughs) (laughs) so I don't know It's, it's just such a uh, I, I mean, I'm obviously heavily biased towards print. That's why I have a house full of books. But uh, I like having that permanent thing that I can keep and hold on to. Uh, and then when I'm trying to think of like, oh, I want to look at this comic that I remember. I mean, I got it on a shelf. I don't have to go look it up on Google.
2: Yeah, I, de- I definitely think of it like as an archiving slash curating Mm-hmm. Exercise that I really value as well. Uh, so I'm glad web comic creators, please keep making prints of your work. Your work deserves to get archived too.
0: Yeah. Like, even if you don't want to, even if you have a, a comic that is in a format that you wouldn't, it wouldn't be practical to like print up the whole thing. If it's like 2000 pages long or something, and it's just like no one's going to buy a 2000 page book or book series. Like even just like a sample, even this like one chapter as a mini comic is like, it's like a bookmark. It's it's like yeah. one step up from a business card of like, here's an actual comic I've made. Uh, you can look up the rest if you like it.
2: Yeah. And it's a thing that you can hand to a friend and and be like, yeah, you know, like how you're describing a dream. Describing a webcomic is kind of like that sometimes. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, there are robots and they're on another planet, but the planet is actually a coffee shop. And, you know, like, it doesn't make any sense when you're describing it, but if you can hand them, it's like, yeah, here, look, and they can thumb through it and see that you're not insane. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like physical books are in some ways like more secure than stuff on the web too. Cause like, I don't mean, I don't know, servers go down.
0: And what happens if webtoon decides to like go out of business and like, sell everything to investors or something. You never know.
1: I mean, yeah, it's like, I mean, this is sort of maybe not a hundred percent one-to-one, but like, I remember I was looking up like a TV show and I went through all my streaming services and then I like went online, like, where can I stream this show? And I found like a Reddit thread where people were just like, Oh yeah. Like if you didn't buy the DVDs, like you just never are going to see this anymore. And I'm just like, what? Like, I thought the internet was supposed to bring me all the information up in the universe. And just cause it's not profitable to license whatever show, like, no, it's that doesn't exist anymore. Like it's crazy.
0: Yeah. That's, that's the current drama in animation where uh, HBO max pulled a bunch of their shows, like canceled shows that already existed, canceled shows that hadn't been released yet removed shows from their archive and there haven't been any official announcements about this. So there's like all kinds of theories about the, the reasoning for this, but at least one of the theories is that they're doing this for tax reasons. And if they're doing it for tax reasons, basically in order for these things to be a write-off, these shows just have to never come back. Like the minute one of these shows come comes back, Oh, it wasn't a write-off. It wasn't the loss. Like you have to pay for that now.
1: Right. Oh, late stage capitalism. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, so the next one I have is another small zine. This one is a short zine by Shannon Cow. And it's a square shaped zine that is called You Can't Get There From Here. I think it's also about maybe 16 pages. Uh, Shannon Cow is at Melifix. M-E-L-L-I-F-I-C-S. Let's say Twitter. (laughs) It starts with an ad. Uh, And I just was really drawn in by this scene. It's a wordless scene. It doesn't necessarily have a story. It's a collection of images that are bound by a theme. And the theme is, let's say, liminal spaces or everyday spaces. So you have a lot of Vending machines tucked away under a little overpass or windows that are looking out on something or bus stops or things like that, just very subtle, the, the spot that's created by the light of a lamppost. But what's interesting about this zine is that it takes those spaces, those small spaces that are very normal and mundane and reimagines them having been taken back over by nature so this kind of overgrowth or degrowth imagery really speaks to me so for example in one spread you have two light two lampposts, and one is shining light but there's it's actually the ocean and there's a bunch of jellyfish swimming through it and the other is actually a jungle and yeah i just thought it was a really beautiful and meditative piece very lovely printing full color uh, yeah, highly recommended. You Can't Get There From Here by Shannon Kao, which was produced in 2019. Another sleeper hit that I missed.
0: Yeah, that looks great. I love that art.
2: Yeah,
1: that art looks fantastic. Was that in the Lucky Lounge? No. Okay.
2: This was in the gymnasium, I believe, Ooh, in the back of the gym. Okay.
1: All right. Ha. I did pick
2: up some prints in the Lucky Lounge, though. I had some good stuff over there.
1: I mean, there was, I, yeah, there was some fun stuff in, in the. I was glad I went to the Lucky Lounge. Yeah. Uh, so this is another local artist, Ivana uh, Filipovic. I hope I'm saying that right. F I L I P O V I C H. So I'm just going to read the back. In 1999, Ivana Filipovic, uh, an architect, archaeologist, designer, cartoonist, and occasional procrastinator, became a literal escape artist, selling her beloved. Black Lacquer Piano for a one-way ticket to Vancouver after a 20-year hiatus during which she worked in educational media and communications at a Canadian university. She returned to cartooning in the last few years. Her comics were published in Sweden, Slovenia, Serbia, and were exhibited at the French Institute, uh, galleries in Serbia, Croatia, Slovenia, and the Nova Comic Arts Festival in Serbia, So Ivana's uh, immigrated to Vancouver, but these a lot of the comics here were originally published in like Serbia and Slovenia. And so she's uh, one of the few female cartoonists working in that part of Europe. And so the artwork has a real kind of like etchy or etched, like an etching kind of style, like with a really strong black ink line and hatching. It kind of reminds me of Eddie Campbell and um the content is also like it's got a very like I don't know it sort of feels like a um like a, a like a, a like a Russian novel like turned into a cartoon um like it's very like there's a lot of metaphor and just like surrealism yeah the stories I I sort of feel like I need to read them again to sort of really understand them but yeah, some really beautiful art and just like uh, something really different. I have really enjoyed working through them. And they're all just little short comics. You can sort of read one and like meditate on it a little bit and then read the next one. Uh, so, yeah, another shout out to a local, local creator does good.
2: <laughs> I love how cool. comics can so deeply convey someone's unique experience. That's something that I really uh, appreciate for them appreciate them for.
0: So Mm -hmm. uh I is it safe to assume that these comics were probably written in other languages and then translated into English for this volume?
1: Yeah. So they as they appeared in a different language originally and got uh translated. And then there was some new material added and I think they've also got revised. So uh when you go through the stories it sort of notes Uh, the year that they came out in. So some go as far back as like 1994. Mm. Um, And then they were, some of them have been redrawn or updated since then. Uh, So this is sort of a collection of different works that were spread out. Some in English, some in Slovenian, like some from the nineties, some from 2017. And it's all been collected into one print edition. So cool.
0: Yeah. Okay, so the next book I've got is uh, Nothing Can Possibly Go Wrong, uh, written by Prudence Shen and uh, drawn by Faith Erin Hicks. And I'm a big fan of Faith's comics. Uh, I don't know that I own all of them just because she makes so many of them, but I try to own as many as I can. Uh, And so this book came out originally in uh, 2013. And only once I was reading it, did I realize, I think I've read this before. But when I went to look for it on my shelf, it's not there. So (laughs) I think I may have put it in a classroom for kids to read. And then it got read and is no longer with
1: us. (laughs) They liked it so much. They took it home.
0: This is the thing I've learned about maintaining a classroom library is as soon as you put it on, as soon as you put a book on that shelf, it has a lifespan. It will not last, especially the graphic novels. But
2: so, this is this is a completely new edition of it, isn't it? Isn't it really? No, yeah.
0: Odd? This is in color. So I don't think the original was in color. I think it was black and white.
2: I think it was re-inked, too. Was I, it? Or the, the War at Ellesmere was re-inked. I'm, gonna, yeah,
0: yeah, I'm yeah. going to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. War on Ellesmere is, like, completely new. But um, this one... I mean, I don't know. I don't have the original now to compare it to. The, the art is familiar, but that doesn't mean it wasn't changed at all. Oh, all it says is that it was, this is the revised edition. So it doesn't tell you what's different from the previous edition.
2: It looks like from a cursory research, it is just colored. Okay. So not, that, okay. not that color is minimal, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't like the word Ellesmere was completely redrawn, which is a really significant investment so yeah
3: yeah and i
0: think <laughs> warren Elsmere was her second graphic novel
2: i think it depends how you count it because like Cause, there was yeah, I mean, zombies there was... calling before that
0: yes zombies calling was before that and then she did a web comic that i don't think was ever
2: printed well no there was a web comic before that which was demonology 101 yeah. and then it was yeah. zombies calling
3: uh-huh
2: uh and then there was like ice i think ice oh. was actually before it might have comedy, been. Though.
0: I don't think Ice was ever And finished.
2: I No, it wasn't ever printed or finished. Yeah. And then Ward Ellesmere.
0: <laughs> yeah, but the, the, the point being Word Ellesmere was like an <laughs> earlier one, so it makes yeah. more sense to be the one that she felt like, oh, I need to redraw this. I'm not happy with it or whatever.
2: Yes, it makes um, sense.
0: Whereas this is like 2013, which is not that long ago. Uh, and it holds up really well. Like the, the only clue that it's not Uh, the 2020s is that their cell phones are clearly from the 2010s (laughs) (laughs) but this is definitely not one of those stories that tries to pretend that cell phones haven't been invented yet right um, which I am very tired of we we all live in as we've lived in a cell phone rich world for quite a while now writers get it together write stories that have cell phones in them
1: Uh, (laughs) anyways
0: so the the story (laughs) is uh it starts out as uh, a story about a high school election and ends up being instead about a, a story about a robot competition. And so the the sort of the, the way that it goes from one to the other is a lot of fun. Like it's all sort of like uh, character driven and, and the characters are really strong characters. And uh, of course, Faith's art is always great. So like she's really good at drawing those sort of those character moments like putting a lot of life in her characters and really telling the story with those pictures
2: yeah I love Faith's work for how much it is very expressive uh like you said the characters are always very animated and inviting and yeah I really like Faith's style
1: mm-hmm. yeah I uh she just her new book just launched I think uh that's another book I have to get right have... yeah that's yeah. It. Yeah, I think that just came out a couple, like literally maybe five days ago. Uh, <laughs> I, I think the elevator out.
0: pitch, I haven't read it, of course, <laughs> but I think the elevator pitch is um, Star Trek and horses.
2: <laughs> I don't definitely, I got definitely horses. horses. Yeah. <laughs> kids,
0: kids who are into both horses and Star Trek.
2: Ah, okay. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> that tracks, that tracks. <laughs> All right, so this is another local supporting locals, but that's what VanCaf is for, right? Uh, this one is the Year 50 Project by Vinegar44, Jason Turner. Uh, so this is a, so Jason Turner is a well-established member of the Vancouver comics community. Um, he's probably best known for his comic True Loves and True Loves 2, which is, uh, a really interesting slice of life romance that takes place in Vancouver and has a very strong sense of place. But this is not that. This is uh, the Year 50 Project, which is a zine, but it is probably the heftiest zine that there could be uh, in the sense that it's still Saddled stitched. but I'm sure this is like, I think this has got to be like 48 pages, maybe even more. I'm not sure. I don't know. It's big. But it's <laughs> the the premise of this project is that Jason Turner was turning 50 recently. I think he did this the year that he turned 50. And then every week, I think, uh, I wish there was, I wish I had reviewed the preamble, but I think the premise of this is that for the year that he turned 50, for every week-ish during that year, he would record a memory from the, the sequential year of his life. Hmm. Huh. Uh, or an anecdote, right, for the years where he was too young. So it's it's a really interesting project that goes a lot through memory and time and growth. So for example, he was born November 22nd, 1970. And it kind of talks about, you know, his family and where he was born. And then the next couple of pages go through his very early childhood where he lived in Manitoba on a farm. And then it kind of follows him as he moved away from the farm, but then back and the kind of like the changes through his life as he came through school and then grew into young adulthood and was finding his own way and deciding where to live and, you know, falling in love with his wife. And uh, But it's, it's a really interesting way to cover such a large period of time because it is only one isolated vignette from every single year. So it's almost like the the equivalent of a one second every day, but for a life, uh, which makes it, I think I've never seen a, a project quite like this and I found it was very interesting. And so that's why I decided to pick it up for my collection. But yeah, congratulations, James and Turner on completing the year 50 project
1: mm-hmm. and
2: on the successful crowdfunding of the Outbreak Diaries, which I am very much looking forward to.
1: Yeah, actually, I was going to say, um, I believe you're right about year 50 uh, jam, but I, yeah, I think that year 50 got interrupted by COVID. Yeah. And so then the outbreak diaries kind of took front and center for a bit. And then Jason had to circle back around to complete year 50.
2: Yeah. Uh, so I, that's why I said year <laughs> week ish, Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, but he does, he's one thing that Jason Turner is known for and is very diligent about is, uh, time stamping every mm-hmm. single one of his little pieces. So there is a, a rubber stamp to confirm uh, yes. at what date right. he completed every page so that you can hold him accountable and say, right. hey,
3: yeah, you yeah. did not
2: finish this on time. So <laughs> what is explain this to be gap? <laughs> I
1: believe, I believe he also did a year 40 project. Oh, I don't uh, remember. I, I believe there's a year 40 oh, project. Wait, was that, that the tarot project? Um m- possibly. I don't I, fully remember. yeah, like I don't. It's been too long, but like, I believe that he did a year 40 project and now he's done the year 50 project. You know, I, I, I wish I'd picked up year 50. I'm going to have to bug him to give me a copy, but I, I I'll decide to only get one thing from everyone. So I got the sad vampire zine, which also is like stretching <laughs> the balance of what you can do with staples. Fifty um, zine, But I uh, also
0: got the sad vampire.
1: I just, I love yeah. that he started just drawing a sad vampire around halloween and then just kept going with it for like another month and a half and then just decided to turn it into a zine
0: that's uh, <laughs> yeah, good it's, it's very it's very jason turner it's very sort of like oh, yeah. small scale and poignant
1: yes
3: lovely
0: and
2: that's that's one of the things that we love comics for
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know
2: like animation and movies and tv all need to have a certain minimum scale i feel but comics almost has no minimum
0: yeah. 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 And I will say like some of the comics that I have on my bookshelf that I cherish the most were small scale productions, uh, like things that you, like I could tell you what they are, but you wouldn't be able to go out and find a copy because there's probably not that many in the world. Uh, I don't know. I feel like uh, I, t- I sort of take this as inspiration for myself sometimes when I'm feeling down on like comics in general and the world uh, about how like as an artist, if you can make that connection with like, you can either make a connection with a large number of people or with a small number of people, but making that connection with a small number of people isn't necessarily less like you get less money for it, but like there's no way to like measure the, the value of that connection. Like, I don't even have the ability necessarily to communicate with the artists of these like specific zines that I that I have to say how important those stories are to me. And it is like, that's, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a weird thing about this specific medium.
2: Yeah. I mean, but then if you eventually, every once in a while you do meet someone who was like, Oh, I remembered this zine or this tiny old zine that you did like so long ago. And it it's, it's touching if you can if you can find that person and mm. and tell them yeah so if something meant something to you reach out and tell the Uh-oh. artist you it makes a huge difference especially like john as you said like it's a discouraging time to be an artist uh i don't yeah. think it's you i don't think yeah it's no i mean and any it's not of us <laughs>
0: specifically it's like just being an artist in general like comics is actually not doing that bad compared to a lot of other mediums right now like I feel for all the animators who are like watching their world come apart right now and it's like ah I want to say things can get better but like I don't know
2: yeah but but to to say that like if you are listening and something uh, a, a piece of media has touched you like you can make a difference in the life of in the life of that creator like mm-hmm. it you might not be able to pay their living wage or <laughs> or you know transform their life but you can keep them going and you can let them know that from one soul to another that there was a connection which is really what this craft is all about at least to me
1: yeah mm-hmm. i i can't yeah i can't stress enough like the importance of just leaving those comments and letting re- letting artists know like that yeah they you read their work and it actually meant something to you like that like that's I mean I live for that right like it's I mean yeah it's nice when someone buys your comic but like when someone comes back the next day and it's like oh man I read your book and it was so good or I really love this scene or something like that's gold like that's yeah that's, that's much stuff.
0: worth so much more than the five bucks that's-
1: Yeah. Like that's, that's, that's what I'm in this for really is for people (laughs) to be like, I read your work and actually thought it reflected something I experienced in my life. You know, Mm -hmm. Um, that's, that's what it's all about, you know? Uh, All right. Well, that's actually a pretty good segue about expressing yourself uh, to others. So uh, my last book, I'm going to like put a trigger warning on this book, uh, book recommendation though, because it's a heavy, heavy duty book. This is like, heaviest book i picked up at vancalf um this book is our little secret which is a graphic memoir by emily carrington and emily carrington uh was my student at langara college and very quietly sneakily went off and produced an entire graphic novel and got it published through drawn and quarterly no no I, i i was hearing buzz about this from the other instructors um so i know Bevan Thomas assisted with uh, revising the script and James Lloyd offered a lot of uh, storytelling advice. James actually co-tabled with Emily at VanCaff. So it was really cool to see some of the instructors really getting behind one of our students who's I think one of our breakout successes from the Langara Graphic Novels Program. Um, But yeah, this book is basically Emily documenting her very sad childhood uh, dealing with... Uh, Parents that went through a divorce and ending up with her father who decided to abandon society and go live in a cabin in the woods. And the only neighbor nearby uh, was a person who groomed her and uh, molested her. And so she tells that story and then goes into uh, dealing with that trauma and trying to find justice. And, uh, I think it was interesting that, or yeah, for me reading this, and again, it's not for the faint of heart, but like the introduction I thought was really upsetting, but what was more upsetting was the second part of the book where the court system and the justice system completely fails Emily. Um, and I just think that it's important for people to be aware of these shortcomings in Uh, Like we watch TV and we think, oh, yeah, like the police arrest people and then the prosecutors prosecute them. And then it's the case is closed. And like reading this book, you're like, yeah, we've got a lot of problems to deal with and things don't work how how they do on TV. Um, And it was a very affecting book. It was um, very well crafted. Um, It made me think a lot about just the way the power of comics is that it really puts you in someone else's head and you get a little sense of maybe their life or their experiences. And that was something I sort of found reading this. Uh, was it, yeah, it was just like uh, really, uh, was, it was upsetting, but it also gave me a lot of compassion for Emily's you know situation. And I don't know, it just was like a really powerful work. And I was really proud of her for just creating such an affecting piece uh, of comic autobio. Yeah, it was really really well done and handles really upsetting subject matter in a very delicate way, you know. But yeah, definitely not 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 for the faint of heart if you're yeah, if you're not already in a good mood, don't start reading it. <laughs> yeah, it
2: sounds like uh it sounds like the author was really brave. Yes. To share that. And I I know that experiences like that can be extremely painful and extremely personal. So yeah. Read with care.
1: Okay. Um are those are those all our three books? I think that's this it. for me. Yeah. Right. We're we're now we're now we're gonna talk <laughs> to conventions.
2: Yeah. Yay. So I I asked for this topic to have a little bit of discussion because uh yeah, I spent so long in quarantine. Uh, so like right at the beginning of quarantine, TCAF was canceled and that made me super duper sad, right? You know, I was really looking forward to TCAF. I had all this stuff that I had been pushing really hard to get ready for a TCAF launch. Uh, TCAF is really hard to get into. I had travel plans. I had flights booked. I had accommodations booked, uh, and then it got canceled and that was traumatic. Uh, kind of as you've, Alluded to in the beginning, John, Planet Con is kind of a—it's a different place. It's a different space. It's an important space for the community, and so like you, I was very eager to get back to it, and I—I I felt like there was a major hole in my creative life not having that, and I missed being able to connect with other artists and uh, all the great books that we were able to to discover and and get at this show. However. Having taken a moment to like be forced off that treadmill, and then the difficulties and the risks of returning to Van Calf and all the other conventions continuing really gave me a moment to step back and assess the role that conventions play in the comics community. Now, I'm not saying conventions are bad. I'm saying that. Comic conventions play a certain role, but come with certain drawbacks. And I'm wondering now privately, you know, and maybe with you guys, are there other ways that we can fulfill those roles? Uh So here's what I mean by those challenges. Uh, First of all, when you're working a show, it's exhausting. It's exhausting working two to four or five days, depending if they're set up. Uh, So some of these shows are really physically taxing to complete. Um, And those of us in the community, I'm not one of these people, but I'm close friends with many of these people, make their living from these shows and rely on traveling around the country doing this physically grueling work. At the same time, these shows, some of them, Van Caff is an exception. I think Van Caff puts comics front and center, but many of the other shows do not. Uh, San Diego Comic Con is probably the most notorious example that does not. I mean, it says it's <laughs> it says it's a comic convention, and it does host the Eisners, which is uh, the most prestigious award in comics. But if you if you walk around as an attendee, it's now more of a pop culture movie oriented convention. So that's that's one reservation, the physical gruelingness, the, the lack of focus of some other shows, the the expense and difficulty of traveling for these shows. It's not for everyone. And it makes me sad that not everyone has equal access to the type of community networking opportunities and yeah, other benefits that come with conventions. Throughout the pandemic, I really, really missed that community. And this most recent convention made me wonder, are there other ways that we can foster and build that community in addition to conventions? I think conventions still have their place, but because of their drawbacks, it makes me want to explore alternatives. So I don't know how the two of yeah. you feel.
1: I mean, I think that's, um, yeah, it touches on some things I was thinking about. You know, I, I, I had a few conversations with people on the show floor, and it was interesting that I uh, one conversation stood out to me where someone was saying that in 2018 they were at Calgary Comic and Entertainment Expo, which is like one of those like four or maybe five now five day show four day five day shows.
2: I tapped out at four.
1: Yeah, okay, maybe four day. Anyways, four day show, and then I think on like at least two of the days it ends at like eight p.m. And so you're just supposed to put in like over an eight hour day. And anyways, just like this cartoonist who will remain nameless just was expressing how in in 2018 in Calgary Expo, they felt so burnt out and just so done with it. And they were like, why am I doing this? Like, what is the point? Like, I hate all this. I'm never going to do conventions again. And so then when COVID happened, a certain part of them was like, I'm free. I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to pack boxes. I don't have to book flights. Like this is lovely. And, and this is a cartoonist who, you know, has other revenue streams. So doesn't need conventions. And they almost were not going to do conventions, but Van Calf came along and they thought, well, I would be, I live in Vancouver. I'll go check this one out. And they were so expressing to me how they felt so rejuvenated and energized and just like they were so like excited to be on the show floor but they also were saying like but you know like it's just saturday sunday and i show up at 10 a.m and this is so nice and i think i always want to do this show because this show is so great and that kind of got me to thinking about how like part of what made the show so great is that it's just the weekend it's saturday sunday it starts at 10 a.m And, like, the thing that I felt kind of tragic, similar to you, Jam, is is I thought what actually made the show really good this last year was because they had reduced capacity. They had reduced, they sort of, I don't know if they limited the attendance, but, like, they definitely reduced. Uh, I think they did.
2: I think they had a a cap. So they had people counting at the door, didn't they?
1: Yeah. Okay. So I thought they maybe were limiting people getting in, too. Um, But I think also there was just COVID cautiousness in the air. And so, I they, they have the tables more spaced out. They have less people like less exhibitors. And so like the whole show was smaller than it was the previous year, but like, you know, it, it made it more comfortable. You weren't crammed in someone's armpit. You could go from your table to your friend's table without having to like shimmy between a hundred people. And I mean, this is, I don't know. Again, I, I, Earlier, I was saying like sales don't matter, but I will say like Cloudscape had a really good show as far as putting some money in the bank to help us pay for expenses. And I honestly would say part of why I and this is my own pet theory, but part of why I think Cloudscape did so well at that show is we had a lot less competition. Like there weren't all of these other artists who were flown in from New York and Portland and There weren't people that had these competing works that honestly, like maybe are better than what Cloudscape's doing. And like, because there wasn't that extra competition, like Cloudscape got to be prominent because like, hey, we're this local publisher. We've got these great books. And I kind of thought like, you know, next year when it's more busy, when it's more crowded, when there's more, you know, external publishers and, and people with, exotic books right from foreign lands Cloudscape is going to not be as prominent we're not going to stand out as much we're probably not going to sell as well and like again it's that doesn't that it's not the primary concern but it's just like it got me to thinking about you know everyone wants to be in vancalf right and when you're actually selling on at the on the floor in vancalf it feels good but like I felt this year in particular it's like because of the limited capacity there was like enough to go around like everybody did good right everyone i think had a pretty good show because like there were just enough artists for just enough people and if you have more artists like potentially there's people that you know they're they're in a bad spot and people don't see them or like everyone's this exciting book that's only available this week and so they're going to spend their money on this book and then they're not going to buy from the local artist they're not going to go to the the lucky lounge or whatever and and it's like in some ways like when you have when you keep pushing to get bigger and bigger and you add more days and you stay open later and you open up another show floor you're kind of watering it down and it, and again it's like I don't know what the solution is like as you were saying jam it's like In some ways, I feel like having less exhibitors made the show better for the existing exhibitors. Like if we add more people, it sort of cuts down on the available audience for everyone. But then having less spots means that just like it becomes more exclusive. So like that's not necessarily a solution. But it really got me to thinking about how it's like everybody wants to be exhibiting and yet like, I don't know. Sorry. I'll try to wrap this up, but just like, I remember someone else after van calf got in touch with me and they had this idea for like a week or no, um, a monthly show. They're like, Oh, we should do like a van calf every month. We should just like every month there should be a van calf. And I was just like, yeah, but like, that's going to burn out so fast. Like s- scarcity adds value. Right. was basically what I told him. It's like, you can't have a show every month where people stop caring. It just isn't special anymore, right? Like, VanCalf works because it's like, it's your one time of the year to do this. Planet Con, right? Planet Con is only landing in May. And yeah, I don't know. Sorry, I just, I, I'll wrap it up here. But it's just like, yeah, I sort of feel like it, exclusivity can be a better experience for the people that are exhibiting. But then uh, exclusivity is bad for the community at the same time. And I don't know what the solution is, but that's sort of something I was found myself musing about during conventions.
0: Yeah, I think like these are really good things to think about. I also have no solutions to any of these issues. Um, (laughs) But uh, I think if you if you look at people who have been going to conventions for years and years and years, like decades, people who were going to conventions before I started going to conventions I think it is interesting to see that a lot of the people who have been at this for a long time approach conventions very differently than I've been approaching them. Like they don't have like the elaborate table display with like a unique tablecloth and like a lot of thought put into like, how do I arrange all my books and they've got a publisher who's like shipping books for them and they just like show up and sit at a table. And I feel like part of that is just because yeah, it's so much work to to do conventions the way uh, so many of us have, so many of us have been doing conventions, and like obviously, I'm not saying like having a great table display is, is bad because we all came to that idea for the same reason because you sell better, uh, <laughs> but it's like it's just it's a lot of work like trying to get your books to a convention especially if you're doing it just on your own and you don't have a publisher to like take care of all that stuff for you yeah i don't know i mean i I do appreciate covid in the sense that i don't have the same sense that i need conventions like i did when this all started like i've gone two years two or three years now with only one convention in all that time and Like, I don't know. I mean, I missed out on that. I'm getting to visit Planet Con, but I also missed out on all that stress and cost and time. And so like, I would like to go to more conventions again, but I don't think I'm ever going to do what I was doing like in my 20s and 30s where I was like, oh, I got to go to every convention I can manage to fit in the year. It's like, no, I don't want, I don't want to.
1: (laughs) I mean, and I I don't (laughs) know, maybe you guys have uh your own perspective on this but like i i definitely sort of found myself looking back on my my past conventions yeah in my 20s like hauling things around uh to go to san diego or sorry san francisco and san diego and seattle and you know as a canadian like even more stress, because you've got to cross a border, you've got to deal with like merchandise, um, you've got to deal with the like,
2: not to mention the increases in shipping. And
1: yeah, yeah. And honestly, like, I mean, again, I don't know your situation compared to mine. But it's like, you know, when I really go back through those spreadsheets, like, you know, I didn't make money at that. Like, I, I, <laughs> I know other people like, yeah, no, as soon as you
0: include the cost of the hotel and travel, it's like, oh, this yeah. is not profitable. I mean, well, it is but, for some people.
2: But the friends and the people that I met only through those shows, I think, make a really big difference. Like oh, especially absolutely. now, especially now, now that I think it. Twitter is, it's, it's getting harder to make friends on Twitter and online. Yeah. Uh, I think Jeff, you said something really interesting about scale. So I think you're, you, you have some interesting reservations around exclusivity, which I also agree with. Like You don't necessarily want to bring the gatekeeping up, but I do agree that the scale of it coming down helped a lot of these factors. I also think your friend is partially right. My idea is that a way to increase more of these opportunities, increase more of this visibility for more people while retaining a smaller scale would be to have more different types of events so mm. a van Calf mm. every month would be murder <laughs> it would be <laughs> terrible for everyone yeah. Yeah. however i think cloudscape does a, a they do a lot of really interesting small meetups which have been fantastic i i i'm was remembering comics in transit recently which is right. uh not a social event but it's a really great way to get comics in the fa- in front of the community and as a, as a community, what I'm suggesting, what I'm, I'm trying not to be whiny, I'm like, I'm trying to advocate, please, people within the comics community, let's discuss and think of other new ways that we can come together, experience some community, meet each other, uh, promote our work, you know, and have some of that cross-pollination that I think cons are really great at, but maybe cons aren't the best venue for,
3: Mm.
0: yeah Yeah. i think if you look at um like the conventions i've been to that were my favorite conventions were not the ones owned by a corporation who flies in to like five different cities throughout the year and has a huge event in a convention center and then leaves and you don't see them the rest of the year i feel like the best ones were the ones that started small and were built by a community i think i think that's the key is like communities need to build infrastructure so that because like i mean vancalf and tcaf are rare in the type of convention that they are they're not the only ones on that sort of with that kind of vibe but there's they're vastly outnumbered by the huge massive movie cons yeah um and i feel like if 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 there were more vancalf type things in like towns around the country and around north america like just a little convention like once a year in portland and like once a year in blaine and once a year like, like in there like
2: used to be with Green, you know yeah and, yeah. and,
0: and, and there and was
2: like, a chilliwack comic con at a certain point i think yeah yeah and, no and not think, chilliwack it was like blaine or something no, no, uh, uh, what was it um, bellingham there was a bellingham comic yeah, con. Belling- Belling- They're still i think they're still
1: doing something yeah there was the bellingham one and then what was the other one was the one in the interior? They, oh, um,
2: there was a Pentacon. Pentacon, yeah. Pentacon.
3: Yeah. So
1: like,
2: like, why does it always have to be a con? Well,
0: right. that, that too. I mean, I think part of the problem is they're all trying to do the same thing. Like they don't all need to be the exact same copy of each other. And often, and like every convention does this, they try to bring in people from out of town. And you, that's not, I mean, that's great if you're someone there to buy comics. It's not how you build community.
2: No but it is how you bring in attendees but again like so this is this is where we get into goals I think comic comic conventions right now in their current iteration are trying to meet many different goals for the comics community and the corporations running them Mm -hmm. to varying degrees of success so I feel like it would be interesting to examine each of those goals independently. So like some of it is community, some of it is promotion, some of it is making a living. All of these are separate and important. Um, and what are the ways that we can meet those needs? Some of which might need a physical presence, some of which might not. I don't know. I thought it was like during the pandemic, the, the talks that TCAF put out were very interesting like, I got to see way more interviews and talks from TCAF when they put them online. And yeah, when, yeah. And I feel
0: like online conventions haven't been super successful. Like, people don't sell as many books if you're trying to sell them just on the internet. Yeah,
2: I did. Uh, I did The TCAF workshop stuff, like the talks, those work
0: so much better online.
2: Yeah. So this is, this is what I mean. Like, we've done a lot of experimentation over the last two years. And yeah. I think we should continue that spirit of experimentation as I I think going back a hundred percent to the way it was and the direction it was going. I think mm-hmm. that is something we should maybe take a more sober assessment of. Uh-huh. Yeah. I certainly am. Personally, I don't, I am not going back to, uh, seven shows a year or more. Right. I am, completely like over the last, it's funny because I started this process, the, the burnout that you described, like it happened to me in 2018, 2017. And I, I had to, for the sake of my health, I had to put the brakes on it hard. And I've been trying to retool my entire creative method in response to that. And I'm not saying everyone be like me. i was doing this before it was cool. I'm just saying like it really injured me, and I don't want to see more people get injured <laughs> by trying to meet this model,
1: yeah, no i I think that like, th- yeah, like I don't know i i I mean, I've had my own sort of trials and tribulations with with conventions, and I you know, it's funny because I think that so much of my my struggles, uh, a lot of it centers around conventions of just like you go to a convention and just like, you don't sell any books. And so then you just like, that just like is confirmation of your, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, and you're just like, well, then I, I must suck because no one bought my book where it's more like, well, I don't know, like, was this the right show? Were you in the right spot? Like, do you really, you know, did you position yourself? Well, you know, like there's lots of variables to this and it's like, I, I don't know, this is, I mean, I'm bringing a little bit of my own baggage to this, but this is where it's like, I found that my interest now lies in the comic arts festivals. And I'm really just not interested in the entertainment expos. And I just feel like there's this, and I mean, I don't know. It's like my, um, my sister-in-law is um, making a, making a living doing amazing, like like fan art stickers and merch and and going to every single like mini commie anime revolution every every single con under the sun in the lower mainland and calgary she's in attendance and and making bank i guess but i i i for me like i just my my hackles get up a little bit like i always feel like these entertainment expos just it all feels very predatory it's like we want to have this event we want to bring in these guests it's going to cost a lot of money so we need you to underwrite it by spending $300 to set up a table we're not going to promote you we're not going to put you in the same room as the big guests we're going to shove you in a back corner somewhere and not advertise it and we're going to take your money and like i i just feel like it takes advantage of a lot of people i think there's a lot of people that lose out like and there's this real toxic thing you know, like, I mean, you, you go around the show floor and you go to your friend, like, how's it going? No, one's going to be like, Oh, I'm losing my shirt. I'm going to be fucking bankrupt when I come back. Like people are going to be like, Oh, I'm good. Great. I'm doing great. And they haven't sold a single book, but they're going to just say, I'm doing great. And then you're, Oh, they said they're doing great. I haven't sold a book. Oh, like, Oh, they're doing great. And I'm not doing great. You know, like it's, it's just such a, a toxic environment. And I think that
2: and there, there could be a much more nurturing environment. Yeah. And I oh.
1: I mean, I think this is where like TCAF, VanCaf stand out to me because and I think it's funny because, again, it's like as much as like gatekeeping isn't great, like I will say that I feel like the fact that both those shows are juried is part of the part of what makes them work, because like when you get accepted to TCAF, like. Right off the bat, it's like, wow, like they like me. They looked at my work and they were like, you're good enough for TCAF, right? And it's like, it's a certain amount of validation just to get to go and set up your table, you know? Um, And I mean, like the show itself has geared itself where like people come to buy, right? People come to engage with artists. So like it's created, it's fostered this environment where like most people, again, have a generally a pretty positive experience, but I think part of that is like that there is a, a jury process that they're... I mean, again, like I don't, this maybe sounds a bit cruel, but it's like, in a, in a way, it's kind of good that TCAF and VanCaf can like look at an artist's work and kind of be like, yeah, you're not ready to be tabling yet, you know? We're like, you know, San Diego Comic-Con, like they're just going to cash your check and they're going to be like, yeah, I know, good luck. Like,
2: <laughs> Yeah, good luck trying to make 15K back. Yeah, I uh, think- but I think, yeah, we can, as a community, we can take those learnings and be like okay well what is a good a good way for younger artists maybe that doesn't have as much outlay risk investment of time and energy and emotional labor like what is a what is a smaller better way for them to become part of the comics community mm-hmm. and maybe like anthologies like we've tried I think actually anthologies have been quite successful I think compared to the last 10 years like there are way more anthologies and zines that are being self-organized. And this gives people an opportunity to kind of grow their skills and grow their portfolio. I mean, that's why we started it. We we started Cloudscape to get a publishing credit uh, before any of us had it, right? Yeah, yeah. And that was and, huge for us.
0: And yeah. I think that's also where like the smaller conventions, like the mini commies and the pentacons uh, can play a role where it's harder to get like the quote-unquote big name people that show up to Penticton but if you live in Penticton like you should have a table at Pentacon right like that's the I think the solution isn't to make TCAF or VanCaf bigger the solution is to have another thing that people could go to instead
1: yeah, if they yeah. Don't get in. well this is I mean it's it's kind of on pause now but they're for a while, Camosun College was trying to develop Yeah, like, there was a good show. A little show in Victoria. And again, it was like a little tiny thing, like mostly just the students selling their work and then maybe one or two big names. But like that's all you need. Like <laughs> Yeah,
2: Anime Stop. Evolution started as an SFU anime club um hmm. outcropping.
1: And the
0: the um what's the what's the zine show in Vancouver for blanking on Can-Zine? the name? Can-Zine. canzine, yeah, canzine. I like, I think it benefits from having a different vibe from Van Calf where you're going to have different expectations of what to find there. And and so it's, it serves the needs of other people, both uh, in terms of tablers and um, like exhibitors and uh, attendees in terms of what they, what they're going to get.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, something, yeah, I don't know. Something I noticed a lot in conversations with people is I sort of feel like, A lot of people have this mindset about like glomming things together and like bigger and more. And it's just like, you know, people like I talk to people about Van Cap and it's like, well, they really need to add that third day, or like they really need to find a bigger venue, or they really need to, you know, they've got to get bigger. They gotta have more days. They gotta encompass the zines. They gotta encompass the the print artists. It's like, no, no, no. The print artists can have their own show. The zine people can have their own show. Like and
0: the print artists do have <laughs> their own show. They like a bunch of people were unhappy with not getting into Vancouver. They went and built their own show. That's great. Yeah. More people need to do that.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. It's just like I don't I don't always think people appreciate how like bigger isn't always better. Like, I mean, I've been to San Diego Comic Con and like I don't know, it's overwhelming like and and every every meaningful thing you do at san diego comic-con you then look at the program guide and go like oh there's 10 other things i'm missing out on right it's just like it's just all fomo the whole it's like five days of fomo at san diego comic-con
2: <laughs> anyway that, that's kind of the thing i was thinking about after vancath yeah like, i how, mean how can we bring more different types of venues I mean uh, not what? even just conventions like gallery showings, yeah, book I mean, readings. Yeah,
0: know. book I miss book readings. We used yeah, to do yeah. book readings back in the day was, in the I was just,
2: times. I was going to say that that was
1: that was something that I had thought about is some of the the best experiences I've had outside of a con was attending uh artist spotlights at the Vancouver Public Library like and it's like maybe you're promoting one or two artists you know, uh, like I went to the library once and they had, um, Guy Deleal and, uh, Mar- Mariko Tamaki and that was it just the two artists. And they both did a little presentation and then you could buy their latest book and get an autograph. And like, you know, I learned a lot from the two presentations. I actually got to have a little bit of like FaceTime and a chit chat with the artists and like everyone was there for the same thing and everyone got that same experience. There was no missing out because like, you're only here for these two artists. It's only happening for these two hours and that's it. And so like, you don't have this incredible tax on your, your time and attention and money. Uh, and that's just speaking as an attendee, not even just as a, as a presenter or an exhibitor. Right. And so, yeah, maybe just more book launches more like, limited just or like panel disc- like instead of having panels during Calf like just do a bunch of panels like have just like have a, a bunch of panels
0: <laughs> yeah we always come back to the thing that uh got all of us together in cloudscape in the start is like hey we need some comics infrastructure there's not enough of that
2: yeah <laughs> so i guess i yeah i guess i wanted to put a pin in this fact that yeah when we started Calf didn't exist uh anime evolution was still a thing. Mini Commie did not exist. Kenazine did not exist in Vancouver that I'm aware of. I think yeah, it existed yeah, in right. Toronto. Yeah. So yeah, like I think anyway, yeah. Gold Star uh comics community for creating all this infrastructure. Let's evolve to the next stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the next learnings. stage is
0: not the same but bigger.
2: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, just
1: uh for fun. So I was going through some stuff. Uh, in my memory trunk. And this is every con badge I've ever worn to any convention. Uh, That's intense. I don't know what to do with them. Uh, maybe I'll take a photo. We can add it to the the show notes. But um, <laughs> I feel like I need to turn this into some kind of art installation or something. Yeah,
0: there you go. Take take a photo <laughs> of that. We can make that the, the cover image for this one. I'm going to call this episode Planet Con. <laughs> I like that. Uh, were we going to do shoutouts? We were going to do shoutouts,
1: right?
2: Yes, I'll well, I... do a quick shout out. But uh, just shout out to everyone in the indie comics community who won an Eisner um, this past San Diego because it was a lot of indie names that we know. Congratulations, Cal McDonald, on you died and um, Iron Circus published that one. And uh, congratulations, Yin Core, on. Uh, the Legend of Antipo winning an Eisner as well, I think.
1: Oh, and um, Miriam Labicki got an ink pot. Yes,
2: that's right. Oh, my goodness. Local. Miriam Labicki <laughs> won an ink <laughs> pot, which is kind of a lifetime achievement award for comics. So, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah. I don't so shout I out like to, to um, Achievement in the indie comics community. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Miriam was in our uh, stargazing episode, too. Yeah. Uh, all right. I'm going to shout out a
0: zine that I picked up, which I didn't put in my list because it's technically disqualified uh this is let's write some solar punk by jam (laughs) (laughs) it is a um thesis proposal for a a genre of comics which is poorly explored uh and it's all done through memes and i haven't even published
2: that yet It's not available anywhere outside of those like six scenes that I sold. I'm kind of like, I'm kind of tempted to make that a little bit of lost media. So.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm going to contribute to the lost media project by talking about it here and not providing any information for how one might get a copy of it. Thank you.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, I'm my shout out is specifically because you told me it's going to go to air in a week. And it's not a book. It's not. It, I, I, so and this is specifically for residents of British Columbia. I'm going to shout out the fact that uh, our local government, the BC NDP, are having a leadership race. And they originally thought that they were just going to, like, get their guy in without a vote. But someone is challenging the leader. So Angelie uh, Apadurai is running for leadership of the BC NDP. And she's got really good politics, especially in terms of the environment. And if you've been paying attention to the BC politics, our current NDP aren't doing so well with the environment. So I think Anjali would be a way to shift the needle uh, in local politics. And so the way to do that is you've got to become an NDP member um, and then you got to vote for her to become leader of the NDP. It costs $10 and I... Really hope that she becomes leader of the NDP. So I'm going to use my shout out to suggest (laughs) if you live in BC, pay the $10 and vote for her. And if you're super cynical about politics, just what do you got to lose? Just try it out. It's 10 bucks.
2: Uh, The registration (laughs) deadline is September 4th. Yes. Uh,
1: That's
0: soon.
2: It is soon. I have registered and I also will be voting for her.
0: Um, For people who are not from Canada and... (laughs) Uh, This might provide some context. Uh, Canadian, the Canadian electoral system is weird. We have party whips that basically can tell everybody in the party not to say or do anything out of line. So one of the few chances you have to actually steer the direction of a party is during a leadership race.
2: And David Eby is already very cross that he can't run uncontested so i think that's reason enough to vote against him
0: (laughs) he he was tweeting that no he wasn't in fact cross and this is fine which (laughs) just suggests to me that "Mm, you might be a bit
1: (laughs) i i i just i specifically had a conversation with someone who was like initially like i don't know she's probably not gonna win and but you know what if it makes
2: david eby unhappy i'm gonna do it (laughs) (laughs) As if you, if you vote and uh, you tell me that you voted, you registered and voted, I will mail you a solar punk scene. How about that? Wow. Ooh,
3: wow.
0: <laughs> That's literally the only way you can get this now.
2: That's right. That's right.
0: Talk about exclusivity. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, next episode. Our next episode is going to be on Mara Internum by Dershing Helmer. I think we promised that that was going to be the next episode. Last episode, next episode, it will actually
1: be that. Yeah.
2: Time available online.
1: Time yeah. has no meaning. Um, so, yeah, but uh. cause and effect still do. <laughs> you got to
0: do things in cause and in, in like causal order.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: uh, all right, I think that's it.